You're listening to Roadie Radio, Rhode Island Library Radio Online. In addition to being the smallest state in the country, Rhode Island is known for many things, like its great beaches and seafood. But there are many hidden gems in Little Roadie. One of those lesser-known treasures in this small state is its tremendous jazz history. Hi, I'm Tom Shaker, co-author of A Treasury of Rhode Island Jazz and Swing Musicians. Welcome to the Big Noise from a Small State podcast. Let's spend some time together looking at this wonderful jazz legacy. Musicians from Rhode Island have made a name for themselves all over the country and the world as singers, composers, band leaders, session musicians, and members of some of the most popular jazz bands ever. Still others, who were as talented as the ones who left, decided to stay and start a family or stay in the family business. These musicians are local legends who graced our state with their huge talent, with local gigs, weekly jam sessions, and backing up national touring acts. (laughs) So here's what we'll do. Let's give you a short history of jazz in Rhode Island, and then talk about some of the wonderful musicians who have come out of this state and stayed here to make a joyous jazz noise. Now, living in a small state, we all know the names. Belair, Cabral, Pederuti, Osborne, Pelosi. These folks are our friends, neighbors, and relatives, and incredible musicians. The first wave of jazz musicians dates back to the 1920s and includes such players as John Vito, a trumpet player from East Providence who worked with the Phil Napoleon Band as early as 1922 and later in bands led by Louis Prima and Paul Whiteman. Bernie Billingcoff, a sax player from Providence who worked with Bobby Hackett and Glenn Miller. Joe Lilly, a pianist and arranger who later made his way to Hollywood and became prominent as a film score composer. Frankie Carl, the famous pianist from Providence, who led his own band and had big hits during the swing era. And Legs Osborne, a trumpet player from Providence, who fathered a family of musicians. In the late 1920s and early 30s, speakeasies existed not only in Chicago and New York, but throughout the country, including parts of Rhode Island and nearby Massachusetts. One such establishment, owned and operated by gangsters, was the Hummocks, located on Route 1 in Attleboro, Mass. At this club, musicians were given a starting time, but the conclusion of the night's work came only when there were no customers left, no matter how late it was. Another speakeasy was the Frolics Club, located in Shawmut, Rhode Island. Here, musicians such as Bobby Hackett, Alphonse Antonelli, Bernie Billingkoff, Johnny Bettini, Hugo Basso, and many others performed nightly. During these years, dancing was extremely popular, and performing at dances would prove to be an important source of income for many budding jazz musicians. Some bands played for what they called check dances, 
where guys presented gals with a ticket that cost 10 cents for one dance. Hence the term diamond dance. Players like Frankie Rayo, Len Oliveri, and Johnny Bettini played for dances under the leadership of George Massari at such places as Novelty Park on Division Street in Pawtucket. Rhode Island jazz players would continue to play in dance bands throughout the 1930s and 40s. They performed at hotels, including the Biltmore, Narragansett, and Crown Hotels. They played at area ballrooms, including Rhodes on the Patuxet, the Alhambra at Crescent Park, the Palladium at Rocky Point Park, and the Arcadia in downtown Providence. There were also a ton of nightclubs to be played at as well. Digging the recordings of Louis Armstrong and his Hot Five and Hot Seven groups, as well as recordings by Bix Beiderbeck, Jelly Roll Morton, Duke Ellington, and many others, the young jazz musicians of Rhode Island began to emerge and develop their jazz skills as the 1930s arrived. During this decade, they would also be listening to Gene Krupa, Benny Goodman, Artie Shaw, Bunny Berrigan, the Dorsey Brothers, Lionel Hampton, and a host of others. This was Swing's heyday. And as Swing flourished, so did performance opportunities for talented players to the extent that it became a golden age for performing musicians. And while there was so much to love about this Swing era, all those arrangements muted all these creative musicians. They wanted to stretch out, play off each other, develop their own style. Thus began the great jam sessions of the day. Jam, uh, jam sessions were an important way for musicians to mentor each other. Formal jam sessions in Rhode Island started around 1939, and the first uh, place you could go to hear a jam session was probably the Beachcomber in the Crown Hotel where musicians such as Eddie Soares, Tony Pagano, Rico Velisi, Johnny Tortola, Yank Ragasta, and Johnny Bettini made up the house band. They played behind the likes of Jack Teagarden, Bud Freeman, Coleman Hawkins, and many others. From about 1940 to 1955, Rhode Island became a veritable hotbed of jazz activity, having first come to the attention of many famous jazz artists through Bobby Hackett's love of the ocean state. Hackett had already established himself as a major talent in the jazz world, and his glowing reports about Rhode Island jazz musicians, as well as Rhode Island jazz audiences, did not fall on deaf ears. Several other clubs subsequently featured jam sessions on a regular basis. Izzy's Club Pyramid, where Frankie Rayo became a strong influence on local players. Skelly's Bandbox, where Steve Horvath led an exciting house band. Tatulo's Cafe in Onlyville Square, where Billy Harris played jazz piano in a style that was ahead of its time. And Club Harmony in Pawtucket. During the 1930s, the predominant jazz style was swing. In the 40s, however, jazz became more diversified. Whereas swing was still prevalent, it nonetheless began to have competition from a newly emerging style called bop. The main thrust of this new style uh, occurred in the late 1940s. 
the founding fathers of Bop, Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, and Thelonious Monk, played music that was extremely complex in terms of harmony, melody, and especially rhythm. This was music that was meant to be listened to rather than danced to. Some of the state's early bop players included Art Pelosi, Sonny Casso, Rudy Carnavale, Joe Pompey, Tommy Breggia, Jake Brill, Eddie Polito, Jerry Myers, Chick Chichetti, Red Lennox, and Bob Pettiruti. Some of these players would hear this music for the first time while serving during World War II. The 1940s also saw Dixieland jazz experience a national revival. It was during this decade that Louis Armstrong formed his famous All-Stars, and Pee Wee Hunt's recording of the 12th Street Rag was at the top of the charts. Dixieland jazz also made its way to Rhode Island sometime around the mid-1940s, when Frankie Rayo introduced his Dixieland band to the public at the stage door in Providence. Rayo's band with Pete Akola Luca on the clarinet, Len Oliveri on the trombone, Stan Haste on the piano, and Billy Amondi on the drums played the real thing with several numbers arranged by Bobby Hackett, and that established Dixieland in Rhode Island. Now with Dixieland and Bop at opposite ends of the jazz spectrum, it was inevitable that there would be some degree of artistic rivalry among the players. Art Pelosi tells the story of how surprised several musicians were one night when they entered the popular Silver Top Diner in Providence, a local late-night eatery, and found one drawn arrow pointing in one direction for the Bobsters and another arrow pointing in the opposite direction for the Dixieland players to sit. Evidently, the discussions about music between these groups got so heated, so loud, and so passionate that they had to be separated for the sake of the other patrons. The 1950s provided to be a truly dynamic decade in the world of jazz. Bop was influencing the cool jazz style pioneered by Miles Davis and Dave Brubeck and Chet Baker to name just a few. At the same time, a lot of swing fans embraced the simpler sound of rhythm and blues or R&B which later became rock and roll. In Rhode Island, these changes also influenced the jazz scene of the 1950s. Jazz horn musicians played with a less aggressive style, which could be heard in the Brubeck-like quartet, led by Tony Cipolla on alto sax, with Ernie England on piano and George Amato on bass. They performed at Ziggy's Lounge. Now, musical styles change and cool jazz, however, could not compete with rock in terms of appeal to the kids, and rock gradually became the pop music of the time. During this period, the major instruments of jazz, the sax, the clarinet, the trumpet, trombone and piano, would be gradually replaced by the electric guitar and the electric bass. Now, Rhode Island big bands, such as those led by Art Tancredi, Tony Abbott, Tommy Massow, Ed Drew, Bob Clifford, and Charlie Wagand still performed, but usually just on the weekends. The crowds were dwindling, and it was an older audience. A few clubs, such as the Village Rendezvous, Bovies, 
the Fountain Lounge, Governor Dyer's, and the Homestead Show Bar would serve as a home base for various jazz bands such as Frankie Rayo, Pete Colaluca and his All-Stars, and Tony Tommaso's Jewels of Dixie. But gradually, the gigs dried up and were usually held just on the weekends. Other clubs, such as the FEI, the Valley Club, the Ranch House, the El Morocco, the C-Note, the B&B, and the Manhattan had floor shows, which featured celebrity artists, comedians, kind of the last days of vaudeville. The Ranch House hosted national, exciting national acts like Dave Brubeck, Buddy DeFranco, Mel Torme, and June Christie. And they were backed by a Rhode Island house band consisting of Bill Tasca, Nick DeQuilla, Dick Corvisi, Art Tancredi, Joe Andriozzi, Joe Curtis, and Frank Marchetti. One club that was uh, for a long time the club in Rhode Island was a place called the Celebrity Club. And the Celebrity Club had really two reasons why it was such an important part of not only Rhode Island jazz history, but Rhode Island history. Firstly, it brought in incredible acts for weekly engagements. Jazz acts like Duke Ellington and Count Basie, Stan Ketton, the list goes on and on. R&B acts, Bo Diddley, Fats Domino, Etta James, vocalists like Billie Holiday, Sarah Vaughan, and Ella Fitzgerald. But it also provided what most acknowledge to be the first integrated music club in Rhode Island, and some say in New England. Now, the Celebrity Club was located in Randall Square, which was the black neighborhood in uh, in Rhode Island, but it was owned by an Italian gentleman by the name of Paul Filippi. So right away that created some issues, but Filippi did not give way to the pressures and harassment that were put upon him by various segments of society during those years. He remained firm in his resolve to offer the best music possible to everyone who loved music regardless of race. Occasionally, Carl Henry, whose record shop Carl's Diggins was located next door to the club, would serve as an announcer while the music was broadcast live throughout Rhode Island. Now, Art Pelosi and his art tones, Joe Massimino on piano, Mike Mara on the trumpet, Bob Pateruti on bass, and Eddie Polito on drums, shared being the house band at the Celebrity Club with the Ronnie Brown Trio. Also uh, with Ronnie Brown was Duke Belair on the drums, Bob Pateruti on the bass, and both those bands uh, spent many years backing up those wonderful artists that came in. Now, a few years ago, Norm Grant and I made a film called Do It Man, the story of the Celebrity Club. And we were lucky enough to interview some wonderful Rhode Islanders about uh, uh, being at the Celebrity Club. But also we asked them, what is it about Rhode Island that produces so many great artists? Is it because it's between New York and Boston? Is it an ethnic thing? Was it because this was the era of swing? What exactly do you think... uh, you know, made Rhode Island such an incredible place for jazz. In the first clip we'll hear uh, from former Celebrity Club MC Steve Cass, jazz pianist and critic John Worsley, sax player Ed Zaretsky, and, well, a non-musician, but someone I think you'll recognize. I have never 
figured out the answer to that question, and I ask it all the time. I always used to jokingly, sometimes not so jokingly, say, what is it? It must be the water. It's incredible, the talent that has come out of Rhode Island. You know, this is the, a state that's on a map not even the size of a dime. We probably had better musicians coming out of Rhode Island than ever came out of Boston. Or I shouldn't say ever came out of Boston, but through the years that I was, you know, playing. This state produces so many fabulous musicians and so many politicians who need straightening out. Why do we have a rich musical heritage? I don't know, it's not because we have such, but you know what, a lot, of, a lot of people say this, that back in those days, they had a rich musical program in the schools. On my radio show, I'll have some of these guys on the show, mm -hmm. And they'll, uh, and they will, uh, they'll, they'll, they, their old music teacher will call in and say, remember me? Oh yeah, of course. Now, if you're a true Rhode Islander, you'll recognize that voice of uh, the mayor of Providence, of course, the infamous Buddy Cianci. We were able to re uh, interview him for our film about the Celebrity Club, and he certainly had his opinions about why Little Rhodey had so many great musicians. Now, our next clip features band leader Art Medeiros and John Worsley again talking about growing up on Federal Hill in Providence, as well as comments uh, again from Buddy and Steve Cass. The state of Rhode Island is like one big city, you know, with the suburbs of Hopkinton and all like that. And we have, we've developed culture, even though other people won't say this, I will, um, uh, maybe people outside the state or the city, but we have a great culture here. That culture can be defined as that learned part of human behavior. We have an appetite for it. Maybe it's an ethnic thing. I mean, of course, uh, our Italian-Americans have such a rich musical history and there's a lot of Italian musicians out there. If we look at the Italo-Americans on Federal Hill, uh, when the parents came to this country, they loved classical, they loved the operas and they wanted each one of their children to learn an instrument. So I'm told by Tony Tommaso, when you walked the streets of Federal Hill, every house you went by, there was some kid practicing. And you could tell who was, you could hear the, the horns playing, the horns playing, you know, it was, it was great. Danny Conti would be practicing the trumpet. Young Eddie was a piano player, really jazz-oriented. And I used to be practicing all the time, and then there was a market, the roof, and then there was another house and a tenement on the other side. And there was a trombone player there, an older gentleman. Joe Conti would be practicing the violin. And when he got finished, then Al Conti would be practicing the piano. And he was all at Dixieland, you know. He'd holler, he'd, I'd hear him get called, hey kid, try this, you know, and he'd you know, It was a wonderful job, it was wonderful, yeah. That happened family after family on Federal Hill. Now in this next clip, jazz educator Lloyd Kaplan talks about different ethnic groups in the state, and saxophonist George Azevedo reminisces about his playing days. Only Italians now, but other, other groups of people. I don't think I went any place where musicians studied more than they did here. Irish people, uh, Jewish people, French, uh, Portuguese. Great soloists, great musicians. They, they didn't come from any big cities. The density of the population made it possible for the young musicians to, to hear one another play, to join bands. I know a bunch of guys that got started like in their 17, 18, 19 years old playing with local big bands. We have a lot of them that went from here out to travel with the big bands. Uh, Bobby Hackett, the wonderful sounds that he's given out. Great players who came out of this area, 
and the great players who were from this area who never left, like Arthur Pelosi. And even today, I mean, people like, uh, like uh, Mike Renzi. Another name is Sean Montero. She sings around here and she's well accepted, but she goes to Europe, she's like a diva, I understand. Pound for pound, we have to lead the country in, in great musicians per, per thousand. I'd say Rhode Island stands right up there with any of them. And uh, while it seems there are many reasons why Rhode Island was a hub for great jazz, it was a combination of all these things that allowed it to prosper so much in, uh, in a Little Roadie. Now, one of the things that uh, if you had to ask yourself what is a Rhode Island known for internationally with jazz, it could only be one thing. And uh, that, of course, is the Newport Jazz Festival. The weekend of July 17, 1954, was a momentous one, not only in the history of Rhode Island jazz, but in the history of jazz in general, as it was during this weekend that the Newport Jazz Festival took place for the first time. It was produced by George Ween, a pianist and jazz club owner at that time, who's still doing it today, and uh, still doing it great. The first festival featured such artists as Providence's Bobby Hackett, Eddie Condon, the Modern Jazz Quartet, Oscar Peterson, and Ella Fitzgerald. What made the festival so unique was a combination of factors, including it was probably the finest lineup of jazz talent in one place for one weekend. It also included forums uh, and talks uh, involving well-known jazz critics and authors, and it involved wonderful jam sessions that you couldn't get any place else. The first festival was such a success that the following year it had to be moved from the Newport Casino to the larger Freebody Park, where it welcomed the world's greatest jazz artists for years to come. The Newport Jazz Festival inspired numerous other festivals thereafter, which would be held not only throughout the United States, but throughout the world. By providing the concept and such a brilliant realization of the Jazz Festival, Rhode Island made an extremely significant contribution to the world of jazz. The 1960s saw the birth of a new form of jazz called fusion. Artists like Chick Corea, Miles Davis, Herbie Hancock, and Blood, Sweat, and Tears helped spark an interest in jazz among the nation's youth. Rhode Island could boast of several excellent fusion groups, in particular Channel One, led by saxophonist Greg Abate. The band also featured Paul Murphy on guitar, Chris Palamo on drums, and Paul Del Nero on the bass. Mainstream jazz could be heard during the 1960s in such newly emerging clubs as the Kings and Queens, which opened in 1962 with a group comprised of Freddie Starks on the piano, George Azevedo on the sax, Bob Pettiruti on bass. Over the years, the Kings and Queens featured a trio consisting of Mike Renzi on the piano, Bob Pettiruti on the bass, he took over for Tommy Wheeler, and Artie Cabral on the drums, who took over for Joe Valletri. During the 1970s and 80s, jazz clubs continued to close or change their format to rock music or just feature DJs on the weekends. Still in Rhode Island, jazz continued to survive. There were many champions of jazz in the Ocean State. Since the 1970s, one in particular has been John Worsley. 
a promoter, jazz critic, and band leader. From 1976 to 1980, Worldsley ran a jazz series at the Providence Marriott, bringing in artists like Dave McKenna, Red Norvo, Zoot Sims, and Doc Cheatham. Artie Cabral was another. As a promoter, Cabral helped keep jazz alive during the 1980s, bringing Phil Woods, Rebecca Paris, Clifford Jordan, and many others to the Biltmore Hotel and Ming Gardens in Providence. And any Rhode Island jazz enthusiast knows of Chan's in Woonsocket, home to the Jazz and Egg Roll series that owner John Chan has presided over for decades. John Chan has regularly brought back Rhode Island jazz artists like Scott Hamilton and Daryl Sherman, as well as national acts like Phil Woods, Bucky Pizzarelli, Leon Redbone, and Dizzy Gillespie, and he's still doing it today. And for many years, Rhode Islanders spent Monday nights at Bovey's Town Tavern in East Providence, where since 1970, fans have been treated to big band jazz played by the best players in New England and New York. Started by drummer Duke Belair, Bovey's has been a mainstay for decades. Uh, Duke's orchestra has hosted a veritable who's who of area jazz artists, Art Pelosi, Dick Johnson, Hal Crook, Mike Renzi, just to name a few. It has also been a place where new players come to learn from seasoned veterans. And radio has played quite a role in educating and entertaining local residents about jazz. One of the first popular radio shows during the 1920s and 30s featured Joseph Petteruti's Hawaiian Islanders, which included a very young Bobby Hackett playing the ukulele. There were many popular radio shows in the 1940s, including those hosted by Art Lake, Sam Jackson, Jack Ellsworth, Ernie Anderson, and Jim Mendes. Mendes, one of the first black DJs in Rhode Island, was on the air for more than 30 years. One of his most popular shows was Jim's Record Shop. Mendes was one of the three gentlemen of jazz, the other two being DJs Carl Henry and Fred Grady. Carl Henry will long be remembered by the jazz community for his contributions to jazz as a DJ, store owner, Carl's Diggins, and promoter and overall jazz personality involved with jazz all over the state. He collaborated with his friend Jim Mendes for a radio special, Designs in Jazz, which aired in the late 1970s. Now, Rhode Island jazz history doesn't stop here. It continues on with groups like Roomful of Blues, the great uh, sax playing of Scott Hamilton, guitar playing of Duke Robillard, Greg Abate, John Allmark, the accordion playing, Corey Pesadoro, and so many more gifted Rhode Island musicians. In fact, let's take a closer look at some of those musicians uh, right now. Perhaps the best known musician to come out of the Ocean State, Robert Leo Hackett, was born in 1915 in Providence near Atwell's Ave. Bobby Hackett was the seventh of nine children. His childhood instruments included ukulele and guitar. He picked up his trademark instrument, a coronet, in a Providence pawn shop for $5. <laughs> Playing with local bands, his reputation grew quickly. And in the 1930s, he found himself playing cornet in New York City and was a successful side player and session musician. 
By 23, he found himself playing Carnegie Hall as part of Benny Goodman's legendary Carnegie Hall Jazz Concert. He also was a member of the Glenn Miller Band, playing both guitar and trumpet and making his name with his coronet solo on the classic String of Pearls. The 1950s and 60s found him successfully teaming up with Jackie Gleason, of all folks, for Gleason's Mood Music LPs. He played the first Newport Jazz Festival, and he became great friends with his idol, Louis Armstrong. Hackett was never too far from the Ocean State, keeping close ties with family and friends and helping many Rhode Island musicians get their start. And many musicians feel that Rhode Island jazz is Bobby Hackett. Now, whether you say Gonzalves or Gonzalves, Paul Gonzalves grew up in Pawtucket, even though he was born in Brockton, Mass. We consider him a Rhode Island musician. His first instrument was guitar, but he quickly picked up the tenor saxophone and made his name. First regionally playing with Sabby Lewis in Boston, then nationally playing with the Count Basie Orchestra. He joined Dizzy Gillespie's band in 1949, but made a quick exit and found a new home with Duke Ellington and his band. He was widely considered one of the top sax players in jazz throughout his tenor with Ellington, and his 1956 appearance with the Ellington Orchestra at the Newport Jazz Festival are things of which legends are made of. Now we would like to play some of our 1938 vintage, diminuendo in blue and crescendo in blue. These are separated by uh, an interval by Paul Gonzalez. It was at the Newport Jazz Festival in 1956, with interest at an all-time low for Duke Ellington, that Paul played a 27-chorus solo of diminuendo and crescendo in blue that was not only the highlight of the festival, but that Duke Ellington credited to single-handedly rejuvenating his career. When Socket's proud son Dave McKenna was born in 1930 and started his professional piano playing career at the age of 17, playing with New England legends like Boots Masuli. Early in his career, he played with giants of jazz like Charlie Ventura, Gene Krupa, Woody Herman, and violinist Joe Venuti. Ever modest, Dave described himself as a saloon piano player, but developed such a unique and strong left hand, his style was known as three-handed swing. He recorded many solo albums for the Concord Jazz label, but his true love were the Boston Red Sox, who he followed with such fervor that he would listen with an earpiece and a transistor radio in his jacket pocket in one ear while playing and performing. He was amazing. And music ran in his family. His sister Jean is a great singer. Our next artist was born in Providence and studied classical piano at eight. Mike Renzi played his first jazz gig with a local legend Art Pelosi and never looked back. He led his own group at the Kings and Queens in the 1960s, and that group, including Artie Cabral and Bob Petarudi, 
backed up a who's who of jazz artists like Rhode Island native Carol Sloan, Coleman Hawkins, Roy Eldridge, and Ben Webster. His resume is world-class, backing up singers like Peggy Lee, Mel Torme, and Lena Horne. And playing on the soundtrack to the 1979 film Manhattan, Mike also spent many years in New York, being the musical director for Sesame Street and for many soap operas. He became Tony Bennett's pianist, which has taken him all over the world, and most recently, back home to Little Roadie. So many other artists have made national names for themselves, like trombonist George Massow and Hal Crook, and saxophonist Greg Abate, to name just a few. While these national names are great, it's the musicians who didn't leave, the ones that played gigs from Woonsocket to Westerly, sometimes in one day, that are the true heroes of Rhode Island jazz. Musicians that were talented enough to play with any band, anywhere, but chose to stay for many reasons. They had day jobs like teaching music to make ends meet, but were out most nights gigging around the state and playing jam sessions at all the local clubs, places like the Kings and Queens, Allery, Chans, Roads on the Patuxet, and Bovies. Now, Art Pelosi was known as the saxophone player in Rhode Island for many years. His band, the Art Tones, the house band at the famed Celebrity Club for most of the 50s, backing up all those great jazz uh, artists we talked about, including Jimmy Rushing, Jerry Mulligan, and Ella Fitzgerald. He played throughout New England, and he played in Las Vegas. Art even jammed with Charlie Parker in Boston's Latin Quarter in 1948. He was one of many jazz musicians who taught and mentored the next generation of Rhode Island players. Considered Rhode Island's first family of music, our next group, the Osborne family, made Rhode Island proud many times over. Father Clarence Legs Osborne led his own bands in the 30s and 40s. His trumpet playing was a favorite at places like Carey's in Pawtucket, the Pirate's Den in Providence, and the Village Rendezvous in Johnston. He also played with Lionel Hampton and Count Basie, among others. His son Clay played piano and sang in the J. Clay Trio and was well known at the legendary Bovies on Monday nights. Another son, Billy, also a piano player and a drummer, moved to L.A. and worked with Ray Charles and many notable soul groups. And finally, Jeffrey Osborne, Legs' youngest son, made his mark as a drummer and vocalist for the funk group LTD and has had a successful solo career as a singer. Drummer Duke Belair was born into a musical family. His dad, Ray Belair, led a very popular local big band in the 1930s. Duke performed with legendary, legendary jazz artists and led the band of Bovies for many, many years. He often played the Celebrity Club and mentored many of Rhode Island's jazz players. Now, all the great jazz musicians we've mentioned today are part of this rich heritage of Rhode Island jazz history. We've really just scratched the surface. And maybe in a future program, we can get more in-depth and talk about so many of these great Rhode Island musicians. I hope this podcast has jogged your memory a bit and made you think about a time when you went out to enjoy live music in a little state with a big noise called Rhode Island. 
I do want to say a big thank you to Lloyd Kaplan and Bob Petteruti who did the research for their book, Who's Who in Rhode Island Jazz. It's been updated in Dennis Pratt's and my book, A Treasury of Rhode Island Jazz and Swing Musicians, both published by Rhode Island's own Consortium Press. Until next time, this is Tom Shaker. Thanks for listening and keep on swinging. This episode was produced by me, Tom Shaker, and is sponsored by two of my favorite libraries, Barrington Public Library and the Warwick Public Library. Roadie Radio is a project of the Office of Library and Information Services and is made possible by a grant from the Rhode Island Council for the Humanities. This is Roadie Radio, Rhode Island Library Radio Online.